Hello and welcome to Age Free Woman. Don't let age be your cage or anything else for that matter. I'm back and today's episode is all about sorry, I'm sorry. It's about apologizing. Are you an over-apologizer? I'm Angela Seahorn and let the show begin. find yourself apologizing for everybody's mistakes and everything in between. I mean, it's ridiculous where you are apologizing basically for your existence. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Let's say you are at work or school or some kind of group setting and you want to ask a question. You will apologize before asking the question. You'll say something like, oh, excuse me, sorry, but I have a question, blah, blah, blah. Or you're at the grocery store and the cashier gives you change for a 10, but you gave her a 20 or him a 20. And you'll say, oh, I'm sorry, you gave me the wrong change. Or you're in a department store, you go to buy something, a pair of pants, whatever it may be, and there's no tag on, on the purchase. When the cashier brings this to your attention, you apologize, <laughs> right? It's like, why are you apologizing? It's their store. You are the customer. Now couple this with a cashier who has her own issues. She may not be an over-apologizer, but she may have issues with taking responsibility and be a blamer. And this is where it gets interesting. So the cashier's response to you apologizing for the garment not having a tag on it is that she rolls her eyes and makes huffy puffy noises, <sighs> giving you attitude, which basically translates to, oh, this is a pain in the ass. You're a pain in the ass. <laughs> and when that happens, you're probably thinking, you can't be serious. This has nothing to do with me. I'm the customer. And besides, I've done nothing wrong here. Hmm, technically, yes. However, theoretically, your fatal flaw was when you inserted yourself into that company's business and took responsibility for the tag not being on the product. And you may be saying to yourself now, come on, you're blowing this out of, out of proportion. You know, that's just being polite. And the cashier should know better, yada, yada, yada. And in the perfect world, maybe that's the case, but we don't live in a perfect world and we need to take responsibility for our role that we play in setting these things up. And it is these subtle dynamics that we set up that create the power imbalance. And that is why we need to pay attention. This is the behavior of somebody who gives their power away. And subsequently, the cashier is responding to your apology. And this is how she probably responds to most people who make mistakes, real or imagined. Regardless, you are now operating from a disadvantage. Additionally, your brain does not know the difference between an authentic apology and a non-authentic apology. Everything associated with apologizing sends messages to those different areas of the mind and body and what's associated with apologizing shame guilt you know feeling bad and fear of 
losing somebody's trust or friendship. And we are supposed to have these emotions. I mean, if you hurt someone or if you violated a boundary, you've said something that hurt their feelings or you've done something that you shouldn't have done or you didn't do something that you should have done. So you apologize for that. People would not apologize if they did not have these difficult feelings to motivate them to do so. Therefore, you can see why over-apologizing can create more of the over-apologizing because it just induces more of these hurtful feelings, which in turn creates more of the apologizing behavior. It's a loop, a loop of ill reprieve. And the more this happens, the more it reinforces the behavior. So by the time you realize that, hey, something's wrong here, your behavior has already become unconscious, so you are not to blame. That's why awareness is so important when it comes to change. You can take as many self-esteem or confidence courses as you want, but if you do not address this issue, you will never get out of that loop. It is impossible to be in your own power, to feel autonomous, to be in charge of your life, feeling good with good self-worth, good self-esteem, and at the same time, be in that shame mode with over-apologizing. You know, that fear, shame, the fear of losing others, of losing relationships. You can't be in both of these states at the same time. It is absolutely impossible. They are not compatible. Again, I want to reiterate, I am not dismissing apologizing. I believe in asking for, for forgiveness and apologizing, but that's not what I'm talking about, like regular apologizing. I'm talking about people in you, maybe that person, or people in your life that you know of that apologize all the time. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And I used to be one of those people, you know, and it started very, very young. I've written a book about over-apologizers, which it will be out in, I don't know, a few months or so. It breaks down how this habit, first of all, how it started and how it wreaks havoc on your life. Because as I mentioned earlier, if you're always apologizing, you basically are reinforcing a belief you are somehow flawed, that you're not okay, you hurt other people, you're not a good person. That eventually has repercussions. We don't live in a vacuum, meaning as social human beings, we interact with each other every day. When you are apologizing 24-7, you're sending the same message to others. You're telling them how to treat you. I would argue that if you're an over-apologizer and you're listening to this now, most of your relationships are probably not equal. I'm not implying that a couple's relationship or a friendship, for that matter, is consistently 50-50 because that's, that's ridiculous. Real life isn't like that. The power shifts between them on a regular basis. Sometimes the power balance might be 60-40 or depending what's going on in the relationship at the time, it could even be as low as 30-70 but not for any length of time. Overall, healthy relationships tend to be pretty equal. But with over-apologizers, most of their relationships, if not all of them, 
are not. Because the over-apologizer is always the underdog and always apologizing, setting up those dynamics and scenarios where um, promotions pass you by, you are the one who ends up going out to get coffee all the time, or you are the one that cleans up when everybody leaves, right? I mean, these are the things that we do when we over-apologize. We start to basically mold ourselves into this person that is not really who we are, and then it becomes us. And then that mold is hard to crack, but you can crack it. And there are ways of doing it, which is why I wrote the book. Because yes, as I said, I used to be an over-apologizer. It started young. When it first came to my awareness that I was an over-apologizer was in high school. Uh, a friend of mine had written, well, she wasn't a very close friend, but she was part of the the gang of people, gang, we were in a gang, the group of, the large group of friends that I had, and she was a part of it. She was a lovely woman, well, teenager back then, and she had written in my yearbook to the girl who's always sorry. Oh my God, when I read that, I instantly felt naked. I felt my entire body flushing. My emotions were all over the place. I couldn't make heads for tails. What was up, what was down, what was east, what was west. It was all so confusing. In retrospect, it's easy to see I was having a panic attack. Because remember, we're not just chronically apologizing, right? We're chronically feeling shame. We're chronically feeling a fear of losing friendships. We're chronically afraid of people not liking us. And it all comes down to abandonment. So... With my friend, when she wrote in my yearbook and she said this, it was like I got hit by a Mack truck because deep down it hit me and my unconscious knew that she was correct. But my conscious brain was like, that's crap. Why did she write that? I was so embarrassed by what she had written, I scribbled it out. I scribbled it out and I didn't let people read it. So that's what I wanted to say about over-apologizing. And it didn't end in high school. I mean, of course, I, was, I, I basically denied that. It's not me, it's her. <laughs> For her to write that, it was probably very innocuous, just something fun. Oh, yeah, you're always saying sorry. She's like probably 15, 16, 17, I don't know. And writing that in my yearbook was just nothing. It was For her, it was probably just something she's noticed about me and kids being real which is why we love our, our young people, right? Because they are so real. Anyway, so that's where it all, well, that's not where it started. It started somewhere else, which I do share in my book. To be clear, my book is not about me. However, I used to be an OA, OA meaning over-apologizer. So of course I will use this experience, which is why I wrote the book in the first place, coupled with my clinical knowledge to help people change, giving you the best of both worlds. As I grew up and got older, I continually felt underestimated. And I couldn't understand why. I thought, why do people, why do I feel this? Whether it was true or not, that doesn't matter. I felt it, I felt underestimated. And in retrospect, looking back, yeah, there are many times where I was underestimated. And that's because I presented myself as less of a version of who I was. I gave them all that information. 
my chronic apologizing created this persona and then felt angry when promotions passed me by. Um, and yeah, I remember one time when I was selling cars. And yes, you heard correctly. In my early 20s, I was a new car salesperson, but please hold off on the judgment and hear me out first. I was doing very, very well. I was slowly coming out of apologizing. That's probably like 10% of my journey of starting to become aware. I was young and I had a lot of ideas. I was, I was, I was whip smart. I sold a lot of cars. I did very well. I became a skilled negotiator, honed my listening skills. I formed good rapport with the clients, my coworkers, my managers, and anybody else I did business with. I would say the organization I was working for was very progressive at the time and would still be considered that today. I had excellent training, by the way. I wasn't one of these, just this is a disclaimer here. I wasn't one of these car salespeople who were looking to rip everybody off. No, it wasn't about manipulating somebody into buying something they didn't want. In fact, our training strictly prohibited doing that. I was proud to work for this company, and I still would be today. I worked for the Roundtree organization, and they owned a lot of dealerships all throughout the city where I lived in Toronto. Everyone who was hired went through an extensive professional training program before they were even able to step foot on the dealership floor. Whereas all the other dealerships that weren't part of this organization would hire you and then throw you to the wolves. No training, you just sink or you swim. Which, let's face it, makes people desperate. And desperation has caused many, many of us to make very poor decisions and even do some things that we may not be proud of. Which I imagine is part of the reason many of these salespeople would just do whatever they could to make a dollar. They would still have to pay their bills and feed their kids. Don't get me wrong, I'm not excusing those old school behaviors of ripping off customers or lying to customers or selling them faulty vehicles. I'm just adding some context to what I believe is part of that old school culture, or at least the beginnings of it somehow, somewhere down the line. Anyway, I digress. And there's a point to my story here. This is to say that I was very good at what I was doing. But, and this is a big but, when it came to wanting to shift into management, new car sales management that is, that was a whole different thing. Management required a salary and I was a 100% commission salesperson. So when you have a salary, there's an investment that management has to make and risk is involved. One time when the dealership I was working for was looking for a sales manager and I was like, I want to apply. I want to apply for that sales manager job. I believe most of my colleagues applied for the job and I applied too. I remember preparing for that job interview. I wrote down a myriad scenarios of what could go on in the sales on the sales floor, how I could manage the salespeople, how I could motivate the salespeople, what I could do. Um, I mean, I just had everything written out, everything like this huge spreadsheet in my head and on paper as to how I would improve the workings of the dealership. 
and I spent a lot of time on it. Long story short, I did not get the job, nor did anyone else at the dealership. They ended up hiring externally. Anyway, the general manager called a meeting to let us know that he didn't hire any of us. <laughs> and in that meeting, he addressed all of us, and he said, out of all of the interviews, including the external, Angela was the best candidate. She had a perfect interview. I was very impressed. I almost fell off my chair. I was shocked. Not only was I the youngest employee, or the youngest salesperson, I was also the only female salesperson. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I felt so proud of myself, and at the same time, I was very confused because he didn't hire me. Looking back at it now, I'm sure part of it was, or a big part of it, had to do with this over-apologizing part of me. This person who was apologizing for everybody's mistakes, who was just too nice. It's possible the head honcho saw that kind of split in me. I wasn't, in his eyes, fully capable of managing the place or whatever. But nonetheless, he chose not to promote me. And I've always considered myself a feminist. Um, I believe women deserve the same opportunities and chances and pay, etc., as men. A humanist that wants equal rights for everyone. And when I look back at that incident, it, I, it really did not feel sexist because that organization that I worked for was so progressive and the general manager was really a great, he was very good and he was a very, very a nice guy. And I just feel that the decision was a, the right decision too like in retrospect, looking back at it, because I, I don't think I really was fully developed in terms of being able to say no, because I was a, I was a pleaser, an over-apologizer. And I think that as a manager, a sales manager, I would have to say no in a lot of situations and be able to say no in a way that was firm and didn't cause me to feel extreme, way out of proportion, stress or guilt or any of those feelings that come with being an over-apologizer or a pleaser. I needed to learn how to say no first. I mean, in business, any business, you have to say no. And just in life, you have to say no. You can't say yes to everybody. A yes to one person can often mean a no to somebody else. Yes, you can go on this business trip. No, you cannot, right? And I'm simplifying everything, but in my book, you'll read more about what happens when we are an over-apologizer and how it affects our life and how you can change. So I just wanted to come on and talk about it a little bit and I'm thinking that anyone listening to this now probably can relate in some way, which is why you're listening to this, or you know somebody who is an over-apologizer, and with over-apologizing comes pleasing, etc. So when you try to please everybody, what really happens is you let down a lot of people, but 
even more so you let yourself down. Thank you for listening today, and I hope my content uh, rings some kind of truth for you and is helpful in some ways, because that is why I do this. If you have any questions or like me to discuss any particular topic, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can email me at info at aseaborn.com and I will also add my email address in today's show notes. Thank you. Take care. Enjoy. Bye for now. You are a shining star.